Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. There were once 5,000 tired and hungry and probably very grumpy people sitting on a hillside wanting their dinner. They'd come to hear Jesus that day. They came before breakfast, stayed all morning, all afternoon and way past dinner. No one had meant to be out there that long, but that's how it was, listening to Jesus, as if time didn't exist. 
People could listen to Jesus for hours, and on this particular day, that's just what they did. But they hadn't brought enough food, and they couldn't just go and buy themselves a burger and fries to go, because, of course, they were in the middle of nowhere with no shops or restaurants. Uh, besides, that kind of food wasn't invented yet. What would they do? Jesus' friends had an idea. Let's send everyone home for dinner. They don't need to go, Jesus said. You can give them something to eat. Did Jesus want them to travel all the way to town and buy food for everyone? Jesus' friends panicked. But we don't have enough money. What food do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. Now, there was a little boy in the crowd. He had brought a lunch that his mother had made for him that morning. He looked at his five loaves and two fish. It wasn't much. Well, <laughs> not nearly enough for 5,000. But it was all he had. I have some, he said. Jesus' friends laughed when they saw his little lunch. That's not nearly enough, they said. But they were wrong. Jesus knew it didn't matter how much the little boy had. God would make it enough, more than enough. Jesus said, bring me what you have. And so the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. Jesus winked at the little boy and whispered in his ear, Watch. How in the world will Jesus feed everyone with just that, Jesus' friends said, because they thought it was impossible. But Jesus knew the one who made all the fish in the oceans. And Jesus knew the one who in the very beginning had made everything out of nothing at all. How hard would something like this be for someone like that? Jesus took the little boy's lunch, looked up to heaven, and thanked his father. Then Jesus gave the little lunch back to his friends. As Jesus' friends started to hand out the food, do you know what? It was the strangest thing. No matter how much they broke off, there was always more, and more, and more. Enough for 5,000. Everyone ate as much as they wanted. A second helpings, third helpings, even fourths, until they were full, and still there were leftovers. Well, Jesus did many miracles like this, things people thought couldn't happen, that weren't natural. But it was the most natural thing in all the world. It's what God had been doing from the beginning, of course, taking the nothing and making it everything, taking the emptiness and filling it up, taking the darkness and making it light. Well, good morning. Uh, great to be together this morning. Um, that one is from the Jesus Storybook Bible, as you saw there at the end of a favourite in the Lowndes household. Uh, as David said, it is good to see some, some new or some visitors. My name's Evan, uh, the associate pastor here. And uh, that's a story we're going to be looking at this morning. It's a, an incredible story, an amazing thing that happened, a true story re that we uh, read about in uh, John chapter 6. And it's one of the most well-known stories. I, I'm sure lots of the adults, have lots of the kids heard that one too? Do I see any nods or have any of the kids heard that one? Yep, some, some nods, yeah. So a famous story. Uh, it's actually one of those miracles or signs that we see recorded in each of the four Gospels. So the only other kind of incident like that or what we might call miracle or sign is Jesus' resurrection that's in all four Gospels. So I suppose that shows us something of how important it is. 
and how it's a sign of who Jesus is that we really need to pay attention to. Uh, now, um, this, uh, as we come to uh, look at that story together this morning, it is important, it's in God's Word, the Bible. Let's pray that God will help us to, uh, to listen to him. So, Heavenly Father, we pray this, this morning as we read your Word together that you'll open our hearts and our minds to see you with even greater clarity and to see how great Jesus is with even greater clarity. And in his name we pray. Amen. So school holidays start this week, and in our household there's uh, four students on a break. I know from uh, having asked last time, there's some who are excited about that, some who kind of are going to miss school over the next little while. But uh, very often when we have time together or time off, we had been getting on our mountain bikes, and there's some really cool tracks, as a lot of you know, out in the, um, so go back one, uh, out on the, uh, oh, it didn't work, oh, I was going to show you some things that other people can do, now, I don't know, see, what I find when I look at these, when I look at the previous picture there, it just, that doesn't look like a very big drop, uh, I was out at Kaiwarik there, and I tried to drop off a thing that would maybe have been just a little, maybe this, this step here, not the top one, but the one, Tried to ride my bike off it and drop off it. Thought, that looks easy. These guys jump off things that, you know, taller than me. And I sort of tensed up, hit the ground, wobbled a bit, came off. I thought, no, I've got to keep my wheels on the ground. I hurt myself, you know, lost a bit of skin off the side. I haven't actually been out to the forest since then. So anyway, that's, that's my skill. Um, I have friends, though, who can send it, as they say, off massive big things and make it look so easy. And I look at them, I think, oh, why can't I do that? It's so frustrating. Um, but anyway, I, I, I just think I should probably face the reality that, look, I'm not going to be able to do those things, and that's okay. Um, some people, like, the next one I want to show you, because it, it, we've got this bad weather, right? So, oh, there you go. There's people doing things that, that I can't do. I've got to admit, I kind of wish I could, but uh, maybe hold me accountable to that, just so I know my limits. I don't know, something like that. But um, over the... Over the, next couple, over the next two weeks, we're looking at the weather, we're thinking maybe this is going to be the reality. We're not going to be out there hitting trails ourselves anyway with this weather. We might be more watching things in time, and I don't know what your family's like, but we, we might have a little bit more screen time when the weather's bad. No promises, but we'll see. Um, one of the other things we love watching, um, the, the boys actually put me onto this guy, Zach King. I don't know if anyone's ever seen any of his kind of illusions, but they're kind of cool. Um, and of course, they are illusions, right? So he's going to do something here that, you know, kind of looks really cool. But we all know, and sorry to break the illusion, but it is the trickery of kind of modern cameras and all that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of silly stuff on YouTube, but these kind of things, I, I don't mind them. They're kind of impressive to me. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the tomato suddenly becomes salsa, the corn cup suddenly becomes corn chips. Right? Amazing. I mean, imagine you could do that in real life. We all know, of course, he can't. It's, it's, it's camera trickery. And there's even videos that Zach has. I'm sorry to break the illusion. But he, he does go behind the fourth wall and he shows you how he creates some of those very, very clever illusions. Now, people can do some great things. And to be fair, even something like that takes a lot of dedication and talent. But you can sort of see how somebody with normal... Somebody could kind of do that. A normal person can do all those things. And so... You know, as you look at those sorts of things, they're entertaining, they're fun, they're certainly not life-changing, are they? But the, uh, the event that we've read this morning uh, is one of those that I've said is very well known and repeated in each one of the Gospels. And it's something that we can't just forget and sort of take as a party trick or some sort of light entertainment 
because it does say something extraordinary about the person, the one who, who does these things. And so we're going to look through these two events in Jesus' life recorded in John chapter 6, verse 20, uh, 1 to 24. And you'll notice as we've gone through John's gospel, this word signs comes up a number of times because when Jesus does these extraordinary things that normal people can't do, it's a sign that points to who he is and what he came to do. And as we've read through the Gospel of John, already we've seen Jesus calling people to put their trust in him, to put their lives in his hands. And these events show us just just how we can be confident to do that. We see that Jesus can, in fact, meet all of our needs. But how can we really know that? How do these events show us that about Jesus? Now, we're very privileged to live in a very nice part of the world. But even so... As we live our lives, we can be worried about all sorts of things, about having all our needs met. We can be worried about making friends. Uh, we can be worried about getting good reports, getting good test marks. Uh, we can be worried about the rising fuel prices, property prices, rising interest rates. don't know if mentioning these things, I'm already starting to stress people out. Are we going to be able to afford everything that we'll need? Well, at least we'll, we might worry about being able to afford everything that we want. But how can we be sure then in a, in a world like that where there's so much uncertainty and difficulty for many of us that Jesus is going to be able to meet all our needs? And that's what we're going to ask as we look at this story together this morning. So we start, uh, if you've got your Bible there, uh, have a look in verse 1. We start with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel where he did a lot of his work and teaching. And you see in verse 2, a crowd's following him. They've seen the miracles and the signs that he's been doing. And they're impressed. They want to follow him. They want to see what he's doing. He, he heals people. He does all these great things. And, and, and they are referred to in the Bible as signs. They point to something. They communicate something. They tell us something about who Jesus is. Not just a cool party, uh, party trick or flexes. They're important signs showing us who Jesus is and why we should trust and follow him. So Jesus goes up on a hill and he sits down and he sees all these people crowding around him. And notice that in verse 4, it stops to tell us and to make a point that these things happen at the Jewish Passover festival. So that's significant. Uh, In youth group this term, we've looked at the book of Exodus, where we find the the events that the the Passover festival celebrates. That's in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. And it's the event that really defines Israel as a nation. Uh, it it's commemorates when God took his people Israel out of Egypt and he saved them and made them a people, made them his people and put them on the journey to going into the land that he would promised uh, them to live in peace and security and prosperity. Now Moses was Israel's leader at that time. He was their prophet. He was their person who spoke to God on their behalf and who God spoke to and to speak to the people. And we'll come back to that. That timing is significant. So we're at this Passover and Jesus realises that there's no food for all these people who've come out to see him. They're out in the wilderness to see him, no food. So he asks Philip where he can get food. And Philip doesn't know, but Jesus has a plan. He's, he's, he's asking Philip because he has control over this situation. He sort of he calls it a test. It's an opportunity for Jesus to see where Philip's thinking is about who Jesus is and what he can do. Jesus has knowledge of what's going to happen. He he's, has it all in control. And it's just a little glimpse here. We start to see that Jesus is the one in control in our world. 
and it can start to give us a little glimpse that whatever uh, problems there are in our world, whatever needs we might have, Jesus is going to be not surprised by any of those things. None of the difficulties in our world are going to take him by surprise. He has everything uh, in his hands. It's a glimpse that Jesus is totally capable of taking care of all our needs. Now, Philip confirms there's no food and that they can't buy any. Uh, if they tried, it would take a year's wages and it still probably wouldn't give everyone enough food so that to, buy, to buy bread for all those people. So another uh, disciple, Andrew, chips in uh, that the only food he finds is with this young boy and it's just this small amount of, uh, of five loaves of bread and two fish. Now... Some of the clever ones, I know, I used to get this, I told this story at, at, uh, in a scripture lesson one time, and they said, well, you could just break it up and give a piece to everybody. Maybe that's what happened. Um, now, have a look at that. Look at the crowd we've got here. Now, some of the clever ones, you might, you might look at it, you might say, yeah, that might work. I mean, if you look at what we're going to pass around for our remembrance meal in a moment, uh, communion, it might only be about that much food. But do you think everybody would have enough and be satisfied and not want to eat any more if, uh, if we broke that amount up between us? I wouldn't have thought so, right? Now, the crowd we're told here, the count is 5,000 men. So with the convention of the time, most people think that that's just the count of men. There would have been women and children there, maybe up to something like 20,000 people. Now, multiply this amount of people by, what, like 100, 130, 150, something like that, and multiply, not add, and you start to get an impression of how many people there were. If you, have you ever been to a football game or something like that, been to a, a stadium? Um, so it's like a, a pretty healthy football crowd, 20,000 people. Okay, now now start to think, are you going to start peeling off little bits of all that food and handing it out, distributing it? Wouldn't, wouldn't go anywhere, right? That's the scale you're talking about. This is not sort of some Zach King illusion. Somebody kind of doing something funky and um, getting away with it with sleight of hand or whatever. This is extraordinary. This is something that no normal human being could do because it leaves 12 baskets of scraps left over. Now imagine being there and seeing all that. You'd have to be impressed, wouldn't you? And look at how the people react. They exclaim in verse 14, well, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. They know from the time of Moses that there's going to be somebody else better than Moses who comes along after him. And they've seen so, something so special that they think it says something about who Jesus is, about his status, and they're right about that. Jesus does fulfill the Old Testament expectation that there'd be one day a prophet who's much greater than Moses. But we know that Jesus is so much better than a prophet. Because this is the creative work of God, as our video, the Jesus Storybook Bible, mentioned before. This is creating something out of nothing, something where there was nothing in reality. And that is the work of God. God makes something out of nothing. He fills our world by his power, by his worth, and that's all. Now, as we saw, this happens around the time of the Passover, and I think that is significant. It's significant to show us what Jesus is doing here, that he's showing himself to be the newer and the better, the greater Moses, the one who will truly provide for all of our needs. In the story of Moses, God leads people out into the wilderness from Egypt. 
And they start complaining because, hey, they've got no food. They're out in the wilderness with no food. And do you remember that God does provide for them in that instance? Some of you will know the name of the bread, I'm sure. You can tell mum or dad or an adult. Do you remember what it's called? Manna. Now, in that time, though, it's not Moses that provides the food. The prophet goes between God and the people, and ultimately God provides the food. Some of you might think uh, if you've uh, been reading your Bible a lot, Elijah does something similar, multiplies food. But again, it's very much attributed to God. Elijah's the mouthpiece. It could have almost been anybody who God chose to do that. But here, it's Jesus providing the meal himself. Jesus is playing the role of God and thus shows that he is the Son of God. He reveals his divinity in this. It's very significant. He is the new and better Moses, leading his people to life and blessing in his presence. Now, this is a sign, and we're sort of a little bit out of order because I got sick and that sort of thing. So Chris has already gone to the passages if you were here last time because Jesus goes on to explain the significance of this event. And he says, this is a sign that shows that Jesus is the source of life for all people. If you want life, you go to Jesus. Now, remember, you sort of think, oh, it doesn't sound like very abundant and generous, because we live in the generation of MasterChef, right? And they kind of, the stuff they talk about when they talk about food, I'm, I don't even know what you're describing. What tastes could you possibly be talking about there? So fish and bread sounds kind of a bit boring to us. But in Israel at this time, it was the staple food. I mean, no bread, no fish. You have nothing, you die. So they are like the source of life for people. They need bread and fish to live. And that's the sign that Jesus is saying points to him, that as he provides this physical meal, he'll later go on to say that he provides our our spiritual life because he has the power of God. That's the sign that points... To Jesus' divinity, that in his that he is God among us, God in flesh. God wants to provide his people for all that he need they need, and he's able to do that. And that's why we, be, we can be encouraged uh, today. Because the bread that came down in Moses' time, that manna in the desert, that provided for Israel for a short amount of time, didn't it? Once they got to the promised land, the manna stopped and they grew their own food. And of course, it only provided life for them in the normal lifespan of a human. So there's no people wandering around today from Moses' time, no Israelite from Moses' time wandering around today. It sustained them for a while, gave them life for a while. But what God offers now is so much greater. God offers what Jesus calls the true bread from heaven. And what does he give? He gives Jesus himself. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The physical bread is just a sign of that true bread, which is Jesus himself. He call, he, Jesus will call this spiritual food, and he provides eternal life for his people by giving his life. And Jesus will lead his people into eternal life, a life that is so much richer than the life that Israel had in the land that God promised them. They did go into that land. They disobeyed. Things broke down. There was war. 
But Jesus came so that one day, after having given his life and risen again, he will come back, he'll return and fix this broken world and provide a place that his people can live with him forever. And that puts all of our needs into, uh, into context for us. Whatever it is that you're stressed about, whatever you worry about, you can trust in Jesus. In this life, you might not always get what you want. But he will provide, and he has provided exactly what you need to be content, to be fully satisfied, and to live in the reality that something so much better than this world is on its way. Sometimes that is an ongoing struggle, isn't it? It's an ongoing struggle to be satisfied with where you are at life, in life. And sometimes you can look around at others and see their material possessions or whatever they're doing in life and you start to feel a little envious or feel inadequate and wish you had what they had. But ultimately, we can remember that if we trust Jesus... We get to live with him forever. We get eternal life, abundant life, good life. Life that lasts forever in God's presence where we will not lack anything. We won't feel as though we're missing out on anything. We'll enjoy it in a way that we can't even imagine. That's the life that Jesus offers. Even if it's a struggle to get by every day, as for some it might be, to make ends meet, to pay the bills... We have something to look forward to that is so great that I think even now that can give us a deep sense of contentment if we remember what Jesus has done for us, if we can hold on to that sense of peace. Now, ultimately, it is true that Jesus enlarges what he provides for us. It's so much bigger than bread, so much bigger than keeping us alive for a short while. And as I said, uh, this this is explained in the verses after this story, especially verses 32 to 59. Jesus shows that he is the life, he's the source of life, he's the giver of life, he's all about life for his people. And each one can gain that life. There's no secret, there's no special ritual to undergo, it's simply trusting him as your Lord and Saviour. And if Jesus can do these things, then doesn't he deserve to be your Lord and Saviour? He has complete mastery over the creation. But he's good, and he provides for us. And it's a glimpse of how good he is in showing that for us in this. Let's go back to the story and see that in verse 15, the people want to make Jesus their king. But Jesus slips away from them. Uh, Jesus, as the Bible later will say, he is the king, he's the king of kings, but he's not going to show it in the way that they might have wanted him to, which might be leading some sort of uh, political or military campaign against the Roman authorities. He's going to show that ultimately he is the king of kings by his death and resurrection. And it's not time for that yet, so he slips away from them. And there's more evidence that Jesus is someone incredibly special, someone with incredible power over all creation. Watch what he does next. It's dark, and the disciples hop on a boat, And they start heading over the lake. In verse 19, you see they get a long way out. It's 8 to 10 kilometres. So again, there's this emphasis here. This is not not some illusion. This is not somebody who's seeing, you know, just just doing little tricks off the shore or something like that. Because it starts to get windy. And the sea is rough. And they're this far out. And what do they see? Jesus walking by on the water. Now, they're terrified. Can you blame them? I think I would be as well. 
uh, even if I'd be, spent that time with Jesus as they had done. Um, you, you sort of, you wouldn't believe your eyes. You'd think it's playing tricks on you. I, I, this is just, it's extraordinary. It's, it's obviously not something an ordinary person can do. And again, I, 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 I didn't show you this one, but I, I thought, I did type in like person walking on water on YouTube and there's also, there are illusions and this sort of thing. And they're often done with bits of perspex or something, like placed just under the water. Yeah, it's, it's obvious. No one can do these things. So what does it tell us about Jesus? Again, it tells us it is another confirmation that he came to earth to show us his divinity, to show us who God is, to reveal God to us, and then to die and rise for us as well. He has power and authority as the Son of God. And this incident shows us that he fulfills some of the expectations or some of the roles that God has that were shown about in the Old Testament. So look at Psalm, chapter, Psalm 29, verses 10 and 11. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Or Psalm 89, verse 9. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. God alone stills the storm. And he's the one who brings those who travel safely to their destination, all those sorts of things. And that's exactly what we see here. Jesus has mastery over the seas. It's interesting that in the book of Revelation, that's one of the aspects of the new creation, that there's no sea because the sea can be such a wild place, take lives and all those sorts of things. But God has mastery over those things. And this is another indication that God is performing the role, uh, that Jesus is performing the role of God. That he has mastery over everything. So he wants to provide for us. He has the ability and the power to provide for us as well as our God. Now I think in the last three years, uh, we've probably, be, probably been reminded of uh, the creation's destructive force more than we have in, a, in anyone's lifetime here, I'd expect. Uh, we've had to try and certainly can certainly argue about how to contain that the serious virus we've seen drought and fire and flood and I mean, all these sorts of things can leave us feeling pretty overwhelmed and, and somewhat fearful have you noticed I'm sure in the last few weeks or in the last few days some of you have been looking at weather or bomb.gov uh, quite frequently with all these expectations of you know heaps of rain and flooding and all that sort of thing Perhaps some of you have family and friends in places like Lismore and you have seen firsthand that terrible destruction um, as people's lives are turned upside down by the floods. So we are just so small and so fragile in this world. And some of these things just remind us of that. But Jesus comes in and shows us peace. He can walk on water when it's raging, when it's dark. And he says to his disciples, don't be afraid, I'm here. And then they immediately reach their destination. They're back on shore safely. Another confirmation that Jesus is showing his divinity. Jesus is the Son of God. The elements don't have control over him. He controls the elements. And so with all this in mind, we can be confident, we can be sure that God alone has our future in his hands. We can rest from our worries in Jesus. Easier said than done, but we can do that. We have the ability to do that because he is powerful compassionate and he's present with us he wants to provide eternal life for each one of you no matter who you are where you're from what you've done in your life and he has the power to give it to you all you need to do is ask we might see people do all sorts of amazing things 
but nothing, nobody shows the kind of power that Jesus displays here through, as God is working in him. He's unique. And in God's grace, he shows us who God is, what he's like, so that we don't have to guess, so that we can be confident that when he makes a promise, he'll keep it. And when he, provides for, when he promises to provide for us eternal life, he will give us eternal life if we just trust in him. Now let's finish this time looking in this passage by having a time of communion together and uh, sharing in that. Communion is where each of us, and as a community, individually and as a community, we remember what Jesus has provided for us in his life, death and resurrection. John mentioned this verse before, or a verse like it. In John 6.51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Just got my pages out of order. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, he says. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. And of course, Jesus is using a word picture, a metaphor, to explain what he's done for us on the cross. And this is just a reminder of that. Just as bread gives us physical life, as we've been reminded of this morning, trusting in him gives us spiritual or eternal life. And so when he says this, uh, eat of this bread, the bread of his body, it means to trust him and to believe that he gave his body and he gave his blood for you. Many people come to church and they feel burdened and weighed down by feelings of guilt and shame and we can all probably think of things that we've said and done that we regret, and the reality is, even if we don't, we've all broken God's commands. And so we're reminded this morning as we gather for communion, it's such an important time that we remember that we're released from real guilt, from even perceived guilt, from any shame we might feel, because the penalty for our sins has been taken by Jesus when he gave his body and his blood to die on the cross for us. So we invite anyone who trusts Jesus to take the bread and the juice with us this morning for your encouragement. As you take the bread, and the the, um, servers will come around in a moment, be reminded, think about how you have eternal life in Jesus, through Jesus. He gave his body so that you can live. And as everybody is served, that does take a little while. You can eat that bread in your own time. You can pray, you can reflect, spend that time confessing anything that you'd like to confess. And remember God's love and forgiveness as you do that. And then you'll get the cup, which represents God's, uh, Jesus' blood. Hold on to that. And we'll drink that together as a sign of unity of, as, of God, as God's people.